Hello and welcome to Folklore of the Universe, the podcast about me butchering the pronunciation of your language. I'm your host, Kyle. Welcome to episode 12. This is going to be a shorter episode, and so are the next couple episodes, because I've got a lot going on in the next few weeks. Um, I've got graduation coming up from university, so I've got a shit ton of writing I still have to do to finish all that up. Also, I'm moving and I'm starting new jobs, so there's a lot going on, so I'm still going to make episodes. They're still going to be at the same times, but they might be a bit shorter. I'm probably only, only going to do one story per episode. So for this episode, I've got a Celtic folk story, which I'm going to cover. But before that, we've still got our Monster of the Week segment, and I don't have any other announcements, so we're going to do that now. So this week's Monster of the Week is called the Sherroof is a part of Mapuche mythology. The Mapuche are the indigenous people of south-central Chile and south-central Argentina. Uh, if anyone is a fan of the Civilization games, they're the guys who have got the really pretty blue blue borders. So those are the Mapuche. So this creature, the Sheruf, is basically a lava monster. It's described as a large humanoid creature that's made entirely out of rocks and magma. It typically lives inside volcanic craters, or uh, inside volcanoes, or magma pools, or general volcanic areas are where it lives. It lives around lava. It's made out of lava, it lives in lava. It just makes sense. Now, Sheroofs, they sound cool, these big lava golems, but they're pretty evil. Uh, they do like eating people. They've got a, uh, a appetite for human, human flesh, you know, as you do. Also, when they get hangry, when they haven't eaten in a while, they cause volcanic eruptions and other geological disturbances like that. So they're kind of jerks. I mean, eating people and blowing stuff up with lava isn't that good of a combination. Although, to be fair, when I get when I get pretty hungry, you know, if I could blow stuff up with lava, maybe I would. If you got me a sandwich or something. That's, just, that's the difference, I think. If it's just, like, a sandwich... Or some chicken, maybe. It's cool. If it's people, then it's not so cool. I think. I don't know. I don't know the ethics of lava monstering. The only way to satisfy and si stop, satiate, calm down, feed a sheriff is to throw dinner, basically, into its volcano. And by dinner, I mean a human sacrifice, because, again, it eats people. As seems to be the trend with human sacrifice, it prefers virgin sacrifices too. Which, I don't know why that is. I think, um, What We Do in the Shadows, the movie, is about vampires. It sums it up best. Uh, if you eat a sandwich, you'd enjoy it a lot more if you know that no one had fucked it. So I think that's it. People, they just, they don't want that. They don't want that in their, in their lunch and their dinner. And neither do lava monsters. So that explains that. The practice of sacrificing things to a volcano to prevent eruptions isn't a exclusive thing to the Mapuche. It's found all over. For example, the native people of Hawaii, with the goddess Pele, who is a volcano goddess, uh, traditionally offerings were made to the volcano and to lava flows to try and calm her anger and prevent it from destroying cities and towns. And all these lava entities and volcano entities probably originated from the same place of explaining volcanic activity. Because back in the day, people didn't really know how geology worked or volcanoes worked. So the best explanation they could come up with for volcanic eruptions was some supernatural entity or a goddess, like in uh, Pele's case. 
and that they would be responsible for this volcanic activity. And because they are a sentient entity, they could be theoretically appeased with the right offerings. And unfortunately, you didn't. Ju you can't just get like a hose and just try and hose the share roof down because they they didn't have hoses. Although even if they did, I imagine a lava golem monster would be a bit too powerful for a hose to really, really do all that much. It'd just make him angry, probably. But that's all I've got on the share roof. So hope you've enjoyed learning about. Mapuche Lava Golems, and now we're going to move on to our story. This is a Celtic folk story. Specifically, I believe it's from the Celts of the British Isles, because the Celts had a really huge range across Europe. They were Spain, France, British Isles, so I sort of got to specify which group of Celts it was. So these are the British Celts, and this story is called The Horned Women. A rich woman sat up late one night carding and preparing wool, while all the family and servants were asleep. Suddenly, a knock was given at the door, and a voice called, Open! Open! Who is there? said the woman of the house. I am the witch of one horn, was answered. The mistress, supposing that one of her neighbors had called and required assistance, opened the door, and a woman entered, having in her hand a pair of wool carders and bearing a horn upon her forehead, as if growing there. She sat down by the fire in silence, began to card the wool with violent haste. Suddenly she paused and said aloud, Where are the women? They delayed too long. Then a second knock came to the door, and a voice called as before, Open! Open! The mistress felt herself obliged to rise and open to the call, and immediately a second witch entered, having two horns on her forehead, and in her hand a wheel for spinning wool. Give me place, she said. I am the witch of the two horns, and she began to spin as quick as lightning. And so the knocks went on, and the call was heard, and the witches entered, until at last twelve women sat round the fire, the first with one horn, the last with twelve horns. And they carted the thread, and turned their spinning wheels, and wound and wove, all singing together in an ancient rhyme, but no word did they speak to the mistress of the house. Strange to hear and frightful to look upon were these twelve women, with their horns and their wheels. The mistress felt near to death. She tried to rise that she might call for help, but she could not move, nor could she utter a word or a cry, for the spell of the witches was upon her. Then one of them called to her in Irish and said, Rise, woman, make us a cake. Then the mistress searched for a vessel to bring water from the well that she might mix the meal and make the cake, but she could find none. And they said to her, Take a sieve and bring water in it. And she took the sieve and went to the well, but the water poured from it, she could fetch none for the cake, and she sat down by the well and wept. Then a voice came by her and said, Take the yellow clay and moss and bind them together, and plaster the sieve so that it will hold. This she did, and the sieve held the water for the cake, and the voice said again, Return, when thou comest to the north angle of the house, cry aloud three times and say, the mountain of the Fenian women and the sky over it is all on fire. And she did so. When the witches inside heard the call, a great and terrible cry broke from their lips, and they rushed forth with wild lamentations and shrieks, and fled away to Slevimanon, where was their chief abode. But the spirit of the well bade the mistress of the house to enter and prepare her home against the enchantments of the witches if they returned again. And first, to break their spells, she sprinkled the water in which she had washed her child's feet, the feet water, outside the door on the threshold. Secondly, 
She took the cake, which in her absence, the witches had made of meal mixed with the blood drawn from the sleeping family, and she broke the cake in bits and placed a bit in the mouth of each sleeper, and they were restored. And she took the cloth they had woven, and placed it half in and half out of the chest with the padlock. And lastly, she secured the door with a great crossbeam fastened in the jams, so that the witches could not enter, and having done these things, she waited. Not long were the witches in coming back, and they raged and called for vengeance. Open! Open! they screamed. Open, feet water! I cannot, said the feet water. I am scattered on the ground, my path is down to the low. Open! Open, wood and trees and beam! they cried to the door. I cannot, said the door, for the beam is fixed in the jams, and I have no power to move. Open! Open, cake, that we have made and mingled with blood! they cried again. I cannot, said the cake, for I am a broken and bruised, my blood is on the lips of the sleeping children. Then the witches rushed through the air with great cries, and fled back to Slivinamon, uttering strange curses upon the spirit of the well, who had wished their ruin. But the woman in the house were left in peace, and a mantle dropped by one of the witches in her flight was kept hung up by the mistress in memory of that night. And this mantle was kept by the same family from generation to generation for five hundred years after. The End so this is a pretty weird one. There's um, a lot going on here. So I'm gonna gonna clear some terms up, explain some deets. First off, it refers to them as the Fenian women, the witches, which refers to a mythological story called the Fenian Cycle, which in turn refers to a group of warriors called the Fianna. I don't really know what the connection is between these warriors and these witches, but... They're both rooted in Irish Celtic mythology. Then we've got the witch's lair, Slavenamon, which, my god, is hard to pronounce. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. But it means Mountain of the Women. The mountain has a lot of um, mythology and folklore associated with this that's not a part of the story. Actually, I think it is tied to one of the warriors of the Fianna. So that might be the tie-in there where it's the mountain of of them, and then the witches are there, so they're sort of called the feminine women because they just live on that mountain, maybe? I don't know. I'm not really sure how that all goes down, but that's the backstory behind that. Then we've got these weird um, house defense rituals. So, for example, there's the, uh, the cake, and uh, the concept of an evil entity mixing people's blood with food to gain that person's power is... Sort of a common thing, it appears in a lot of different stories, not just this one. And there's also the common thing of feeding that blood food back to the person it was taken from, and that breaks the curse and gives them their strength back. So we see that in this story with the cake. Then there's also the very practical house defense of putting a massive fucking wooden beam in front of your door, which keeps the door from opening, that checks out. The only bit I don't really know about is the feet water thing, um, I don't know what in the goddamn hell is going on there. I guess feet water is magic and keeps witches out, so... People, save your feet water. It's very healthy for you. It's got loads of nutrients. It's good for your skin. It's good for your hair. And it's good for keeping witches out of your house. So, feet water for the win. Hell yeah. God, I, I don't know what is going on with that, but... Moving on, moving on. So one might think that the, uh, the witches having horns is an allusion to the devil and to Satan, Lucy, 
as he's uh, sometimes known as. But this isn't necessarily true, because supernatural entities, especially malignant ones having horns, shows up in all sorts of cultures, not just Christianity. And it shows up in pagan Europe, it shows up in Africa. It's a fairly common thing, so this might have been a detail from the story before it was Christianized. And it might have just synergized really well with Christianity, because that tends to happen, and it does adapt to European pagan folklore too. Which is why Christmas is in winter, because it lines up with pagan festivals like Yule. As far as I know, though, I don't think old Lucy has more than two horns. I don't think he's got, like, twelve or anything, so, again, that's more evidence that there's not really that similarity there. What I think is really going on in this story is that, um, the, the lady's, uh, grandmother, her mother, some relative, just arranged for all her friends to have their knitting club happen at their house and didn't tell anyone, and this lady just freaked out that all these old ladies were showing up and started spinning their wool and whatnot. So she just freaked out and just chased them all out into the night. And that's that's what really went down. And then, of course, she didn't want to be the person who chased the knitting club out into the night in the middle of nowhere. So she made up this whole story to, like, justify it. So that's the truth, folks. You heard it here first. One more I think is interesting with this is how it's a group of 12 witches as opposed to 13. Because typically, because people think 13 is a cursed number or whatever, uh, typically groups of witches or other malignant forces show up in numbers of 13. So to have it be one number off from that is a bit weird. But I can see why 12 works too, because 12 is like a nice even number. If people need to pair up for whatever reason, if they're going on like um, canvassing, you need to go in pairs. It's good for that. There's not one person left out. If they're doing like a little a little dance class, they can pair up for that. So 12 is a more practical number for your covens. We've also got this enigmatic figure of the Spirit of the Well, which is an interesting character because you don't really learn much about it. It just sort of helps defend the house. And this is part of a tradition of household spirits in general. The idea that dwellings have these friendly little entities living around them that help defend the houses from malignant intruders, like witches or knitting clubs. In this case, the well makes sense because wells are pretty useful, you know, you need them to live. So having a friendly spirit associated with life-giving water makes a lot of sense. But that is all I've got for this episode, so I'm going to wrap it up here. I thank you for listening. Again, sorry this one's a bit on the shorter side, but these will go back to having two stories per episode, or more stories per episode in the future in a couple of weeks. If you enjoyed this, please share it around with all your friends and family, get more listeners on board. If you've got any suggestions or questions, uh, shoot me an email at contactkyleshort at gmail.com. And besides that, that is all. So, I will see you next time, and goodbye. <laughs>